Welcome to episode 187 of the Ski Podcast, and thanks for joining us, listener. Today, we're going to be finding out about Copper Mountain in Colorado and looking at some of this season's equipment trends. Now, my name is Ian Martin. I'd like to introduce our guest today. Firstly, I'm delighted to welcome Maria Fox, who is Director of Marketing at Copper Mountain. Hi, Maria. How are you going? Hi there. I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, I am very well. I, I'm slightly jealous of you because I can see a window in the background and I believe you've got a little bit of snow on the floor just now. It is beautiful. It is the most beautiful white fluffy flakes happening. We've got a little bit of gold left on some of the leaves of the trees and it's very, very beautiful this morning. Cool. So I love a bit. And how much new snow has uh, come down, would you say? I think in the village here, we've got about two inches and there's usually about double that up higher up on the peaks. Right. Okay. Very encouraging. Well, well, we'll come on to Copper Mountain a little bit more later on, but I'd also like to uh, welcome back to the podcast, a uh, regular and our equipment uh, guru, Al Morgan from SkikerInfo.com. Hi, Al. How are you going? Ian, I am good and winter is racing towards us. It's exciting, eh? It is exciting. It'd be nice if it was a little cooler here in the UK. It would help with that wintry type of feeling. Slightly uh, too warm. I'm guessing you're somewhere in southwest London, so no snow on the floor yeah, where you no are. Yeah, no snow. Surprisingly warm, but oh man, I'm very, very jealous of Maria and Copper, honestly. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we do have ski shows uh, coming up and I'll come to that uh, as well. But a question I always like to start off with with my guests is to ask you when you skied or snowboarded uh, last. And I'll start with you, Maria. When were you last on snow yourself? Um, it feels like a long time ago now, but it was uh, our Memorial Day weekend. So that's May May 28th, I think, was my last. I always go on May, May 28th is pretty good going. I mean, that is late. I know you had good snowfall over in the uh, States last year. What was the snow like on the 28th of May? You know, it was it was actually not um, – it was slushy, but we were up early in the morning, and so it was still pretty firm, and it was – it was the perfect way to leave the season. Um, I think I think people were on snow till early June, but that was that was a good last day to me. It gets, gets a little heavier. You start worrying about the knees at that point, but um, it was lovely. It was really nice. Yeah, well, that's great, and I, and I we'll come on to Copper later. But I think the resort opens next month, so you don't have long to uh, wait. What about yourself, Al? When were you last on snow? On snow, I was on snow yesterday at Hemel Snow Center, but I wasn't skiing. Uh, in the mountains was last April, last Easter with the family, um, and it was fantastic. Remind me where you went at Easter time? Um, yeah, so we stayed in Valandry in the Paradiski area, and we had everything, rain, snow, sunshine, but we were really, <laughs> really fortunate with having fresh powder snow at the end of the season. So you're, you're at the snow centre in Helmer Hempstead, been there uh, you know, many times. It's an indoor slope, Maria. When you're in the uh, UK and particularly living in the south of uh, England, sometimes if you want to get some skiing in, you have to go indoors. But you're on snow, but you weren't skiing. Were you testing clothing or something? No. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're just working with a retailer and, and helping their staff with product that's coming out for their, this season and teaching them about some of the new product and yeah, yeah, it was exciting. Oh, man, the energy of people getting on new skis, it's infectious. Okay, excellent. 
Well, let's move on to some news and catch up with a few things. First off, there's some big news. I'd like to thank Letoivalet for sponsoring the ski podcast over the last year, but that agreement's come to an end now. And I am delighted to confirm that Intersport Ski Hire has become our new main partner. Uh, and that means you'll be able to save money when you book your ski hire this winter by using the code ski podcast at intersportrent.com. Uh, regular listeners will know I always use it in sport when I'm in the Alps. It saves me having to carry my skis around with me, which is a bonus because I normally travel by train and I get to swap them around while I'm away. So if you listen to that Verbier episode, which I can't recall what number that was now, uh, you know, I mixed up ski touring and getting some fat skis for the uh, powder. So if you want to support the ski podcast uh, remember to book your ski hire with intersport and use the code ski podcast at the checkout and if you do it will help to keep the podcast uh, going now i mentioned before about the shows we've got a very busy period uh, coming up this weekend hopefully today we're recording on thursday the 12th of october i hope to publish this on friday the 13th of october and then at the weekend the 14th and the 15th we have the uh, first consumer show of the year the national snow show at the birmingham nec and then the following weekend uh, the first show in london for several years uh, since um covid uh, certainly and probably a couple of years before that as well and that's going to be at a uh, the Excel Centre. Uh, I'm going to be at the show on all four, or the two shows on all four days. Uh, going to be leading a panel about train travel and sustainability on the Saturdays. And on the Sundays, we're going to have uh, the Ski Podcast live. Uh, you can find all the details at nationalsnowshow.com, but I'll have guests and we'll be uh, chatting out uh, different places that are off the beaten track a little bit more. And if you are at the shows and you do come along to uh, any of those presentations, please say hi, because I always enjoy meeting our listeners. And if you haven't booked your tickets yet, uh, because you are a listener to the Ski Podcast, you can use the code, guess what it is? Guess it's Ski Podcast to get uh, free tickets. Now, just between those two shows, there's an event, Listex. We've talked about Listex before. This is more a trade uh, kind of a, a event, but it's fitted in in National Snow Week. And that's where lots of the deals are done for tour operators to agree with hotels and resorts. Uh, for putting together packages that you'll buy uh, for your holidays in most cases. I'm actually moderating another panel there about sustainability. Um, but if you're in the industry, you can still attend that event. Just go to mountaintradenetwork.com. Then, immediately after that London show, on uh, Monday the 23rd, we've got the Travel Media uh, Awards. And uh, uh, regular listeners will know the ski podcast is up for best broadcast program. So, fingers crossed, we'll see what happens uh, there. I mentioned train a couple of times. Uh, for fans of the train, uh, Eurostar tickets have been open for quite a long time. But if you're looking to get one of those indirect journeys, the SNCF tickets from Paris onwards are now uh, for sale for journeys up to the 9th of uh, January. So I've booked my trains. I'm going out to uh, Les Arcs in uh, December. And if you want to know more about train travel for this season, have a listen to episode 185. Uh, or you can have a look at Ski Flight Free as well. Lots of info in there about train travel. And Finally, I was very interested to see a bucket list poll by The uh, Telegraph uh, last week. 26% uh, of people have a US road trip on their list as a, a ski bucket list. So I thought it'd be a great idea to take a, a closer look at one of the big ski resorts and one of Colorado's top resorts in the States, Copper Mountain. And Maria, thank you very much for uh, joining us. I wonder if we could have a little chat about uh, a copper. There's so many questions I'd like to uh, ask you about. But um, let's start with snowmaking. I know you've got snow outside. I saw uh, somewhere, I think, that snowmaking started last week. Is that right? That, well, we yeah, we started October 2nd, actually. Um, so a little, little over a week ago, about 10 days ago. 
And um, Mother Nature has been helping us out a little bit. I think the day we officially started, we also got about four inches of natural snowfall. Um, and if you, you know, it's really fun to see as you approach the resort, you can see up at the top of the peak, which is at about 12,000 feet elevation or 3,800 meters, you can see the white patch <laughs> um, that is that is being laid down for our race training. So it's Snowmaking has started. We're getting a little bit more help from Mother Nature, and we've got race teams arriving um, in just just over a week, a little less than about a week. Yeah, well, we'll come on to that. How about we start off, though, with some basic facts about uh, copper then? What What is the altitude of the resort? Like you said to me, you're in resort now, and outside your window, you've got some uh, snow and there's more higher up. So what does it vary between then? Yeah, so we the base the base area is at just about 10,000 feet. Um, and, you know, you you start from Summit County and you kind of head your way up to Copper. We're just about seven miles from Frisco, which is our, our hometown here. Um, and the, I would say the skiable acres, we've got about 2,500 skiable acres. And the vertical drop of the resort is 835 meters or, or close to 2,800 feet. So we're looking at a really... Um, really high peaks. The views from the top, I mentioned the summit elevation earlier, is absolutely gorgeous. You have 360 degree views where you can see um, all the way around the state. It's it's incredible. So, oh, and uh, you know, in terms of access, um, Denver would be the main, uh, the biggest airport. I guess there's yeah. a smaller airport a little bit nearer in, is there? Denver International Airport is going to be the closest one. Eagle is also close. Um, typically, flights, you can get direct flights into Eagle Airport. It's about an hour um, west of us. Um, but typically, those flights are going to stop at DIA. Um, so it's a two-hour drive from DIA or a single-hour drive from Eagle Airport. Um, and it's just right along I-70. And Copper's super convenient in that way where you just you take I-70 highway all the way right here. And we're, we're just a easy turn off the highway okay that sounds maybe a bit like uh to put it into european terms when you drive out to chamonix basically you can drive dual carriageway all mm. the way from calais to uh, chamonix if you're going from the uk makes access uh, you know kind of so much uh, easier and you mentioned um just now or a little bit earlier that excuse me lots of the racers are starting to uh, arrive i think that uh, uh, copper mountain is one of the few areas that they can train at this time of year is that right Correct. And in, in not only in the States, but around the world. So we'll see athletes arriving for training on October 20th. Um, we'll have the Stiefel U.S. Alpine ski team here um, in November. They arrive um, sort of in November. And then we'll have international World Cup teams from all all over the globe, which is, is really cool to see in Copper. You'll have this sort of international village happening in the base area with teams from Austria, China, France, Italy, etc. So it's it's actually really cool to see our our town and our village transform. Yeah, well, I, I like the sound of that. I think we referred in the last episode, uh, Rob Reese was telling us about skiing in the Austrian glaciers in the autumn and how you get race teams there. And I mentioned, you know, when I've been out to Sasfe uh, in the summer, you can end up on a drag lift, you know, with some of the uh, best skiers in the world, which is uh, which is great fun. The, the racers who are coming. They are, um, are they coming primarily for downhill training because it's the only downhill training venue that's uh, available at that time? Correct. Yep. The only one in, in um, the United States. And, you know, I think 
earliest to, to have that terrain ready and also the longest um, course for them to train on, which is something that we hear a lot from athletes that are here and, and why they come back year over year and make this a training stop priority is because um, because it is the the only full length course that they have to train on. So it's we're we're first to to get it started and then we run it until about mid June as well. So it's um, you know most of the year. I, I think we we are we are on snow here at Copper um, eleven months of the year, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, I love that. I'm actually just looking slightly more closely. I've just noticed you've got a pair of skis behind you there. That's that's very good. I know oh, yeah. Al normally has a rack of, a rack of skis uh, in his flat. He seems to have moved them on uh, uh, just now. Um, you, you obviously get a lot of athletes there. Copper Mountain does kind of bill itself, or in recent years, it's positioned itself as the athlete's mountain. That's a, a deliberate move by the resort? Very much so. Um, I think, you know, th- there's... For, for those that have been to, to Colorado specifically, um, there's a lot of ski resorts here and there's a, there's a lot of great resorts, but we're all a little bit different and there's something unique um, with each resort. And for Copper, we, we really focus on the mountain experience and the athletic um, aspects of that. And so while we've, we've been doing our race training program for so long, we also are... Um, the official training site for the U.S. team overall, and that you know that covers all discipline of snow sports essentially, and so you know that's that's at our core of operationally how we function. But it's also very much when we look at how we operate for general public and what it means to our guests and why the the people that choose to come to Copper, what differentiates them and, and what kind of drives them to um, to choose us over their other options here in Colorado is really the focus on the mountain experience. And um, the way that we define the athlete's mountain is, is truly um, based on an athlete being an energy and a mindset where so many people, you know, you could, you could say that that statement is a little bit polarizing um, and some people have, <laughs> uh, but the way that we, we view that being an athlete is, is truly through that energy and, and mindset of, of how do you, how do you view your day? How do you view your, whether it is outdoor experiences, um, how will you truly go about um, approaching your mountain? Right. That's really interesting. And you mentioned that uh, uh, Copper Mountain is official training center for the U.S. ski and snowboard uh, team. Obviously, we mentioned the downhill side of things, but there's a big snow park that gets used as well, right? Yes, we have um, nine different mountain parks here and they're really focused on progression. Um, so our, our Woodward brand, our Woodward Mountain Parks, are um, focused on everything from terrain-based learning all the way up to um, you know, a super pipe that we have pros coming from all around the world to train on all winter long, um, all the way through then to a Woodward summer camp that we host um, so that athletes can continue their training uh, in the off-season and continue to grow and, and build their skills. So our, um, you know, our, our super pipe is one of the, one of the last few in the United States right now. Um, and so clearly a, a draw for a lot of athletes to, to come and train on as well as, um, the number of mountain parks that we have that offer some of the, the best terrain, um, uh, to, to train on from, you know, 
monster jumps that the most elite athletes are um, honing their skills on down to, you know, rails and, and very intro beginner aspects and features. Um, yeah, I, I, I like the idea of the uh, very uh, beginner uh, aspect, uh, you know, those sort of ones. I was in Crom Montana, I think maybe the season before last and when they have a super pipe uh, there, which I went in and it was terrifying. Just going like halfway up the wall was enough to scare me and my uh, my kids as well. You, yeah. Have you ever been in that super pipe yourself? Uh Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, and we've had a couple for so we host the um, the Toyota U.S. Grand Prix as well as the Visa Big Air, which are both two World Cup competitions. But um, for the Toyota U.S. Grand Prix, we've had to go slip the pipe in between um, athletes as they run, and uh, that's you know that's nationally televised. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that a few times and I'm like, you know, I, I think I'll let someone else do this. Yeah. You mentioned about, obviously, you've got, um, uh, you know, the downhill racers, people in the park. But uh, it's also, uh, Copper Mountain is also a venue for the Special Olympics? That's correct. Yeah, we've hosted Special Olympics Colorado um, for, uh, geez, probably a couple decades now. Um, one of our, our longstanding partners in an event that, we absolutely love. Um, and it is, again, back to being the athlete's mom, it's reflective of um, the, the full spectrum of athlete. And so, um, you know, these, these kids will train here throughout the year. Um, they'll come for a series of um, trainings for, I think it's eight weeks. And then um, all athletes from all across the, the state will come and compete. Then we have this really cool ceremony and cauldron lighting um, and award show. And it's just, it's honestly one of my favorite events. We do so many large scale competitions and events here for the best athletes in the world. But this is the one where it, it is very meaningful. And it's it's so cool to see the impact on um, on the athletes and how hard they work throughout the winter. And then the the pride that they take in getting to that final competition is is really impressive. Cool. That's great. I mean, the, the athletes uh, mounting that theme, you know, runs through everything. I noticed as well as having a look around the website and you actually have an employee athlete sponsorship uh, kind of program, not necessarily just for skiing, but something that would appeal to uh, to Al and to myself as well. Like you will sponsor your uh, your staff to go and do Ironman races and things like this, triathlons, etc. Yeah, it's, you know, as I mentioned before, it's really the Athletes Mountain is about a, a mindset and a passion um, and energy and really, you know, looking at um, what that means to each person is something a little bit different. And so being able to lean in and really encourage and foster that we've seen, um, you know, our, our employees really connect with the brand and they choose to come and work here. They choose to stay and continue to work here because of that meaningful connection. And this program, creating this program three years ago, I think, uh, just felt like a very natural progression of like, of course we would do this. Um, and so what we did was we we created um, the, the opportunity for our employees once a year to, um, we will sponsor them up to $300 and that's to cover entry fees, um, whether it is travel. So we've had um, athletes compete, leave and travel across the world to compete within their disciplines from uh, uh, downhill skateboarding to uh, trail running to, you know, all sorts of things, Ironman competitions, all the way to the employee who's just doing their first 5k. 
So it really is about um, creating a level of engagement and connection to sport wherever you are, meeting you wherever you are, um, and providing that access to our employees and in and, and trying to continue to foster that connection with the brand. So we can continue to draw employees in that have a connection, and then they deliver an experience to our guests that's just that much more meaningful because it, it really has a connection, a personal connection to them. Yeah, I mean, that that totally makes sense. And I can, you know, I think Al and I are both thinking, oh, Copper Mountain, that'd be a good place to work. <laughs> love to, love to, you know, <laughs> to do that. Because you also, as well as like your own staff, you're sponsoring part of your role as uh, as director of marketing is to find the athletes, uh, the elite athletes that you sponsor as well. How do you go about choosing those people? Are they always going to be locals who have some connection to the uh, resort? We try. Yes, we try to have someone for all of our athletes to have a meaningful connection to the resort. And for us, that means something a little bit different than uh, some of our competitors. So, for example, we don't we don't actually have a town. The, the resort is um, based just seven miles from the town of Frisco. So a, a lot of athletes are here training for the entire season, but then they go home someplace else. So for us, it's it's a little bit more difficult to find sort of that hometown athlete. Um, but there there are several, um, and it's really about who's who is here and who considers this place to be home, which is um, and has a meaningful connection with the resort, a long-standing connection, um, usually through their training. But then also looking at how are we representing the sport? How are we representing um, the all disciplines of snow sports? How are we representing diversity um, and, and cultural representation um, and, and ensuring that we're, you know, we're bringing, shining a light on athletes that, um, you know, have meaning to maybe some, some different races or ethnicities where it's really important for kids and young athletes to see um, someone that looks like them out there performing and um, really celebrate them. Cool. Well, that is really interesting. I think that's very true. And uh, I'm pretty sure there's a number of panels uh, over the next week at those different events that I uh, talked about, which are looking into that uh, representation and diversity uh, as well. Uh, will you be coming over? I know you're obviously very busy preparing for the season. Are you coming over to the UK at all? Are you about to hop on a plane and come to the Birmingham Ski Show? Oh, my gosh. That sounds so great. I wish I could. <laughs> we are, you know, like heading into the opening of ski season is the craziest time of the year. Um, I've got to wax all my skis. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could, but no, I'm, um, I usually say I'm grounded. I'm grounded for quite a while over here in the winter. Yeah, no worries. And the, and the opening date for uh, Copper uh, Mountain to the public in general is, uh, is the middle of November. Is that right? That's correct. November 13th. We're actually really excited because we're opening with a new mid mountain lodge, the area that, we've been working on for several years. So this is a big year for us and it'll be a big opening day. Well, that's brilliant, Maria. Thank you so much for that. Really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, when I book my road trip, I'll make sure that I get a Copper Mountain on the itinerary for, for that as well. Definitely come in and see me and we'll take some turns. It'll be great. Right, Al, uh, I'd like to uh, move on to you now, if that's, uh, if that's all right. Great to have you back on the show. It's been a, a little while. You know, I love talking to you because you're so enthusiastic about, uh, you know, equipment and so well informed. And, you know, we're coming up to uh, the season that people, lots of people will be going to ski shows and they'll be looking at all different uh, products, etc. And I know it's we could we could do 
episodes and episodes <laughs> and episodes covering all the new uh, different trends and developments uh, this season. Uh, I mentioned uh, my last game was in Zermatt. And while I was out there, I actually WhatsApped to you while I was there because the uh, Intersport yeah. Hire Shop there gave me these Salomon boots that had BOA. Uh, and we'll come to what that is. But I found them incredibly comfy, very easy to use. There was no deciding kind of what buckle to go for on the uh, boot. Felt very even across my foot when I uh, tightened it. Um, I wondered if you'd like to kind of explain to the listener what we're talking about, what this BOA means and, and why it's becoming a, an increasing trend for this winter. Well, you're a bit of an early adopter, really, aren't you? Because that boot doesn't actually come out for a, for, a, for a little while. It's new for this season, for winter 23-24. So, yeah, BOA is a cable and dial system used in loads of different sports, golf, running, cycling. So people may know it from that. And it's actually been used in skiing for a while, in touring boots, more specifically, as well as in snowboard boots for years. Don't think that they've just taken a system that they've used before and put it on an Alpine boot. It is completely new and it has taken a long time to develop because of the forces and pressures that are involved in downhill skiing. It's bonkers when you look at some of the information. But in a nutshell, on a normal ski boot, you typically have two buckles around the leg, two buckles around the foot. And what this BOA H plus I1, catchy title, yes, I know, but this BOA <laughs> system allows you to do you can, in 0.25 millimeter increments, you can dial in the tension around the foot. So this is the bottom bit of the boot, what we call the shell. Some people call it a clog, but more widely it's known as the shell. And this really gives an, an incredible wrap around the foot. You don't get the localized pressure of buckles. So in essence, you can take a boot, often these are on medium volume boots. So there's only four brands stocking it this year, Atomic, Salomon, as you've tried, uh, Fisher and K2. And K2, if you look at them, they say it's a 97 to 100 mil or 97 to 104 mil last, depending on which page you read on that information. And that's exactly what it does. You can get a medium volume boot. You can get into that. And if I like a, a snug boot, a narrow boot, I can dial it up and it really wraps around my foot and it's phenomenal. And I actually know that race brands are testing this for race product in the future. So it is definitely here to stay. And we've seen some data already to suggest that it gives you better edge grip, better performance, better drive through the skis. Right. That's interesting about the performance side of things. I have to say, I love having you on the show because like, I thought it was BOA, but it's obviously BOA because it's a constrictor, right? Is that where Yeah, that look from? at that. You're on it. <laughs> Uh, so now I know that I've learned something already. Hopefully, uh, listeners have as well. But you're saying like I do have it on my cycle uh, shoes now. Yeah, but it's, it's taken a completely different quite system. a long time to make that transition to ski boots to get it right. Is that yes, issue? exactly? So I say it's completely different. It's still got the the dial that you pull out to fully release or push in to start to engage the turn. Uh, you can actually micrometrically adjust the tension inwards and outwards on this. Some some bow systems, you can only do it inwards and after pop it undone. It sticks out quite far from the boot. When you look at a boot, you'll go, cool, that sticks out a long way. Is it going to get bashed? Now, they built it. So even if you can, like, I've grabbed a boot with bow and I've smacked it against the table, knocked the thing off. I've tried to smash it off when skiing, hitting, hitting gate turnstiles, going into lifts and everything. It's incredibly robust. But even if you do pop it off, you can just push, clip it back on. It's amazing. And if you manage to somehow smash the whole thing, I don't know how you would do it. Bear in mind they're testing it racing, so it's getting massive impacts. Boa has a lifetime guarantee. Contact them. They'll send you the bits. They're all user replaceable. It is really, really well designed. 
Right. Well, I mean, it is interesting. As I said, when I when I used it in Zermatt, I found it, it you know very comfy. There was none of this issue of knowing what buckles to do up, etc. Do you think that this is going to become standard across all brands? Uh, I have actually already been talking to brands about what they're doing in the coming seasons. So some other brands will be adopting it for next year. Some of the brands that have it now will be putting it on different styles of boots for next year as well. So it's not a doesn't certainly doesn't look to be a flash in the pan. It's a fashion. It's here. Just something you to sell. Um, it does make a difference to the fit. There's a caveat to this. It's only available on four brands, and it does make the boots more expensive, depending on the brand. But it's between forty and ninety pounds more expensive. That's really interesting, though, because I mean I don't know how the work out the cost, but surely I'm thinking that you're replacing a lot of metal with those buckles that must cost quite a bit with a thinner wire is it the complication of being able to fit it into the boot well i would imagine well it's it's taken many many years to develop so there's a development cost in it and boa owns that 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 intellectual property if you want so you're gonna have to pay a license to boa i imagine you can't simply go oh i'm not gonna put buckles on i'm gonna put a bow on you have to redesign the whole boot so it's a new it's a new shell so if we look at atomic and k2 they do four buckle versions and a bow version of the same boot for this season. Not the same with Salomon, not the same with Fisher, but with those guys, they do. So, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's just a, a slightly more expensive system. Uh, well, one brand you didn't mention uh, just then was Lang. And in our notes that we swapped before this, you said that yeah. they've got a, a new form of boot construction, which is slightly different from what they had before. I wonder if you could tell us about that. It's slightly different from what anybody's done. Yeah, it's. Um, I feel a bit sorry for Lang. Actually, they're bringing out this massive innovation in ski boot, and everybody's talking about Boa. Um, so this is in a new, completely new model for them. If anybody doesn't know about Lang, it's a French ski boot company. They were the first company to build a plastic ski boot a long time ago. Um, they are innovators often in this space, and what they've got. So as I mentioned before, the shell, the bottom bit of the boot, that is built with a. It doesn't just come up part way up above your heel and stop. It's got a huge spine that goes all the way up and is anchored in the cuff, that bit that wraps around your leg. So if you think about lever forces, give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum in the right place and I can lift the world, as it were. What this is, this is the lever. And then it's combined with something called a dual pivot. So normally you have one pivot on either side of your ankle. This one has that, but it has another one lower down. And that gives you the lever and the fulcrum. So you can get more energy and drive through the boot with less effort. And what the thing that really astounded me, I tested this before it came to the market a while ago, um, was just the rebound you get out of the boot and the energy. And it's it's honest, it's such a beautiful thing to ski. But then where it's mounted in the cuff and where it's mounted at the bottom pivots, you can change the last element that's in there. And it, that really changes the, 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 the suspension system in the boot. It's a bit like tinkering with your suspension on a full suspension mountain bike really interesting you've got a boot in front of you haven't you what is that boot that you've got there that is the lang shadow this is the 130 yeah and that is the suspension blade 
for the benefit of the listener, Al is now holding up a ski boot to the uh, to the uh, uh, camera. We can all see it. But um, I think, listener, you're probably going to have to go along uh, to one of the ski shows or your local ski shop to take a look. But one thing I found really interesting, you were talking about the rebound there. I mean, there's yeah. lot, I mean lots of stuff in the press recently about, you know, the men's uh, world record for the marathon, the women's world record for the marathon, both been beaten in the last few weeks with innovative new uh, shoes that involve yes. a lot of you know carbon in there to help with rebound is is that a similar idea being you know operated here i know it's not through the base or anything like that yeah it's not through, through the base well the base of a fix of a scheme it's pretty fixed it's pretty static the rebound and energy comes out of the back of the boot it comes out of the spine of the boot and so normally what happens is the bottom half has some sort of connection only bolted to the cuff that creates a a, a different sensation this is this you imagine somebody having an elastic strap on the back of your boot, a piece of bungee and as you flex forward you come back with that strap pulling you backwards that's essentially what that that suspension blade does you're bending a piece of plastic and pops you back up but it's combined with another innovation that that lang has called dual core their sister company rosignol uses it and this is where they can inject different densities of plastic into the mold when they're making the boot. And you imagine if you get two layers of plastic and you rivet them together, it will flex differently and, and, and pop back differently because the two different layers are bending um, you know, have a different incidence in there. And it's the same with injecting different densities of plastic into that. Lang actually has a fantastic video on the site. People can go on there and look at it and it explains it phenomenally well. Right, and it's something else that you mentioned uh, to me was um, a new ski from Rosignol. I think the brand is it called the Essential? Yeah, can you it, tell us about it, that? The Essential, yeah, Rosignol Essential. So, Great. wow, this, you know what? There's just so much going on with sustainability in skis. Um, just taking us, I'll talk about the Essential in a minute. But at the second week in September, for the first time ever, so Atomic is a ski brand. Fessy, which is a European sporting goods industry, and PAL, Protect Our Winters, which you and I have spoken about before. They held a summit in Salzburg. There was over 140 attendees. I know from talking to people in these companies that they had so many companies applying to come and join in in this conversation. They couldn't have them all attend. And they were discussing, what do we do to safeguard this beautiful, amazing space that we ski in and secure a sustainable future for skiing? You cannot get companies to talk together. The fact that we had so many in one space doing it just is refreshing and exciting. And I'm so pleased that this is happening in skiing. So, but yeah, back to the essential ski. This is the most sustainable ski that I have ever seen. It's 77% recyclable. It uses 34% recycled materials. It looks like a really old school traditional wooden ski. And I tested this last winter. It's a piece ski. And you look at it and you go, oh, you know, it doesn't have a normal sidewall. You're going to have problems with water getting it. A lot of the development in the ski, 10 years of development, is working out how they can get rid of some of the petrochemicals, etc., that they use in a ski and ensure the longevity and performance. And I thought... In all honesty, it was going to be a bit of a noodle. Oh, my word. It is electric. You get on and ski. And this is what's important as a skier. Does it perform? And it is sensational. But the recycling aspect, the recycled materials they use, and the fact that this ski can be broken down and recycled is just another sign of what's happening in skiing and how much they're pushing forward on it. 
So that's really interesting to hear about, you know, the use of recycled materials and also the interest from all of the brands in trying to make the products more sustainable. And there's definitely this strong sense that I feel um, that brands are looking to try and produce equipment, whether it's skis or boots or clothing that are of higher quality and trying to promote ownership rather than necessarily, you know, purchase. You know, think about what Patagonia are doing, getting people to, you know, repair their goods, uh, etc. I mean, I also noticed Planks. I was looking at their website the other day, and they've actually got a page on there, which is uh, where, where they say, we are not eco-friendly. You know, it's very hard for us to, you know, actually justify and say whatever, whether our jackets are made out of, uh, you know, recycled plastic bottles, etc. They're all, you know, have a, a carbon a footprint to them. And I found it really interesting then that in that sense, the, the clothing rental side of things has really escalated in the last few years. I mean, lots of people are obviously looking to buy um, brands uh, and products that have a low carbon footprint. But um, you see more and more companies offering clothing rental. I wondered, uh, you know, if you had any thoughts on that, Al. I saw a great quote, and I think it went along the lines of the most sustainable product is the one you already own. And this is essentially defines that whole rental. If that is going to be used by lots and lots of people, it's only one item. Then how good is that for the planet? There's a, um, a British company, a couple of guys, I was, saw them at an event Four four months ago, something talking about them called OOSC, O-O-S-C. And they seem to be in a lot of rental operations, actually. But their passion for doing, I think I think it's just doing things different and in the right way. So they make really flamboyant onesies, that kind of proper 80s apres ski vibe. It's really fun. The sort of, the sort of onesies that you're normally seeing on the mountain in there now, yeah? Yeah, exactly. You know it. Something um, nice and yellow, yellow fluoro, right? Yeah, that's it. You need to be able to find me when I fall over. Um, so, but their materials that they use are a lot of recycled materials. They do carbon offsetting, which many, many companies do. They use organic cotton. But what surprises me actually is just what you were talking about, how many rental operations use this clothing. So it performs fantastically well. Even if you want to buy it yourself, the price point's lower than you may expect, um, but you can get fantastic value in renting it. Yeah, well, when we're searching around, I do see that they're supplying, uh, you know, a bunch of people. There's a website called Her, I think, on Jen Lewis as well. Uh, another brand that's been in the UK or a company that's been in the UK for quite a while, like EcoSki. And when they started maybe three years ago, they were very focused on selecting the most sustainable brands but they've really uh, pivoted towards rental as well you know there are a number of companies that have come to the fore probably only in the last five years actually it's not very long and it just shows people's appetite for renting which we didn't see people just want to buy want to have their own kit which is which is great and we still have that part of the market i think because the product that they're offering as a rental solution is so much better than we saw as a rental provision before that's why we've seen a success well it's certainly going to be really interesting to see uh, how that develops and uh, when i'm at the shows over the next uh, a couple of weeks so the, the next episode will be a ski show special i'll be talking to uh, different people and seeing what's uh, going on so i can report uh, back on that i have to say that while we've been uh, talking uh, al it must be getting cold in uh, copper because maria's put on a very nice mammoth <laughs> hoodie there it looks very nice is that on the on the sleeve that says 50 is that an anniversary of copper mountain or something yeah 
Yes, we just celebrated this past winter was our 50th season. So we're heading into our 51st. And it's, I mean, it's like winter outside right now. <laughs> and I get that, although it's um, it's quite early in the morning for you. It's coming to, uh, I guess, uh, you know, tea time for us uh, over here. So we're going to move towards the end of the uh, show. Uh, and now I do enjoy all feedback about the show. And I do like to know what you think, listeners, especially about our features. So please contact me on social at the Ski Podcast or by email, theskipodcast at gmail.com. I have had quite a few emails uh, since our last episode. Uh, Ian said, just catching up on a few episodes, uh, the Three Valleys hike, which was in episode 184, sounds awesome. Uh, David said, uh, thank you so much for the podcast. My wife and I are keen listeners. He asked me about the Morien, so I uh, referred David to episode 165, where I went out to uh, Rel last winter. It's a brilliant way to get into the Three Valleys without spending the uh, the money. Uh, uh, James Hawkins said, I love listening to every episode. Keep up the good work. Uh, I enjoyed the conversation about golf in episode 186. That was Rob Reese uh, telling us about that. And he goes on to uh, say how he played uh, uh, golf in Kitzbühel. And for anyone who to combine a love of golf and skiing you can actually actually transform the strife into a golf course for the day and the first tee shot is taken from the actual hanakam starting gate and you play the exact race he says it took him slightly longer than the two minutes it takes gears to cover the two miles of peace so if anyone's looking for a world uh, uh, golf course that's one to do and finally tom kelly uh, he sent me an email saying, I enjoy listening to the podcast. I also do a skiing pod called The Last Chair for Ski Utah. Uh, the episode on rail travel to the Alps made me jealous as we don't really have that here in the USA. Maria, is that right? I mean, is there anywhere traveling to Copper Mountain by train? Uh, there is not train, but the Department of Transportation here has put in some really great options for um, bus or shuttle. And so you can get you can essentially get from Denver International Airport to Union Station in downtown Denver by train, by light rail train. And then from there, you can connect on Pegasus or the Bustang routes that'll take you right up to Frisco, which is then an, a free bus ride to to Copper from there. So it's really reasonable. It's, it's not train, but it's it's as close as we can get. It's hard to build. <laughs> okay, that's really interesting. And uh, I'll have to think about that when I do my, uh, when I do my road trip, how we're going to uh, go about it. Uh, but we're just going to move to the uh, close now then. So uh, if you like the podcast, listener, there's three things you can do to help. You can review us on Apple Podcasts. We've got 104 ratings uh, uh, now or Spotify. Uh, 31 you can buy me a coffee at buy me a coffee forward slash a ski podcast and thanks david for doing that or you can book your ski hire with InterSport rent using the uh, code ski podcast we now have 187 episodes to catch up with and amazingly 166 of them were listened to in the last week you know a lot of them people just listening to one episode i find that incredible that's like 85 percent of uh, you know all of our podcasts have been uh, listened to so listener if you'd like to um yeah have a listen to some of the older episodes just go to the have a look around we have covered so many different topics uh, over the five might be six years now that we've done the podcast you'll definitely find something of interest there to you uh, now, you can follow me at Skipedia and the podcast at Ski Podcast. But for now, I'd like to thank Intersport for sponsoring the show and thank my guest today, Maria. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It was great. It's a pleasure. And Al, thank you. Ian, thank you once again. And finally, listener, thank you for joining us. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>